So today's passage is probably one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. Especially this is a passage that children love, right? It's, it's, you can just visualize this scene. Uh, many of you uh, probably remember seeing such a scene in a picture, in a drawing, maybe in a children's Bible. Um, we see a similar story uh, in, in Mark also where Peter is walking on water. That's a story that was dealt with uh, during VVS. And so we're very familiar with this story. And the story seems very simple and straightforward. It goes like this. Jesus is with his disciples on a boat. They meet an incredible storm. The disciples think they're going to die, yet Jesus comes through. And Jesus calms the storm. And a lot of times, the moral of the story, the main point of the story is taught as this. Jesus, who is able to calm the storms of the sea, is able to calm the storms in your life. Right? That's the connection that we often make. That Jesus, who calms the storm here in the lake, is able to calm all the storms of your life. Now, I don't think that's a false statement. Uh, It is absolutely true that Jesus has the ability to calm every storm in your life. He is capable of of calming every, every wave, every wind that you encounter in life. But I just don't think that's That's the point of the passage. Uh, When the gospel writers are writing this story, they have a particular lesson in mind. And so uh, before we jump to any conclusions, before we just fold up our Bibles and say, well, I heard this uh, so many different times, I want us to look at this passage in a fresh way, as if you are walking through this story for the very first time uh, and, and see how God's word speaks to you today. And so let's look at the setting. It says in verse 22, One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Now remember at this point, a lot of people are following Jesus. Jesus particularly has a group of men and women who are, who are following him, also supporting his ministry. Uh, we know especially that he has the 12 apostles who are who are being trained um, by him. And in this particular incident, we see that they're going on a boat. Now, the boat here is likely a fishing boat because in the Greek, it's the same word that was used earlier um, in in chapter 5 when Jesus was calling Peter uh, and and when he he was um, catching all this fish on that boat. So we see that this is likely a fishing boat. The lake here is the Sea of Galilee. Now, I explained this before. The reason why sometimes it's called a lake, sometimes it's called a sea is because, you know, it's just a big body of water. And that's how it's, it's kind of described. And what we know about the Sea of Galilee is this. Uh, just geographically, it's located in a very particular place where it's located 700 feet below sea level. So it's, it, it's very low. But to the north, you have this, these high mountains, uh, Mount Hebron. And so what happens is this cold air blows from the mountains occasionally, and it would hit the warm wind or the warm uh, air that's on the surface of, of the lake. And so a lot of you know what happens when cold air meets hot air. It creates a storm. You have rain, and because of this, uh, it was well known to have unexpected storms in the Sea of Galilee. Everyone knew that this was a possibility, uh, especially the disciples, who a lot of them were fishermen. They were used to this environment. They knew exactly what to do in these type of situations. And so we see in verse 23, as they sailed, he, Jesus, fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in 
danger. So here we see that not only this is an unexpected storm, but it's a storm like none other. That this is a storm that even the disciples, experienced fishermen, uh, they never seen a storm like this before. Uh, even with their expertise, even with their famil- familiarity of, of the location, they, they, they are panicking. They feel like this is immediate danger. They realize how devastating this situation is. And, you know, I, I, I've been on a, a cruise ship before, uh, just a f- small cruise ship that holds about 300 people. Um, and, and, and even a light storm in the sea is so scary. I, I can't even imagine how scary this must be. Like, some of us, we can't picture this. So just try to imagine this. You're on a plane, right? Uh, and... and, and the flight attendant is explaining all that you have to do. You have to buckle up. There could be turbulence. And, and you're thinking, okay, that's a possibility, but is that really going to happen? But this situation is, is not just a situation where the seatbelt sign is on and it says there's light turbulence, so please return to your seat. This situation is where the oxygen masks are dropped. Uh, everything is flying around. You literally have probably doors open. Like, and the worst part of this is flight attendants are panicking. That's when you know the, the, the situation is very serious. When flight attendants, the pilot who have, who have been on this airplane so many times, who have been in the air so many times, if they start panicking, you know that this is a massive storm. And that's exactly what's going on in this situation. Professional fishermen with all the experience and the expertise, they feel like they're going to die. These men are, are panicking in the midst of this storm. So this is a, un, a, a storm like another, uh, like un, that's unlike another storm. This is a storm that is coming in a very weird situation. Um, and the truth is, this is a lot of times how life works, right? In life, all the difficulties, the troubles, they don't tell you, hey, I'm coming your way. But you have all these unexpected storms in life. And some storms you can manage. Some storms you can get through. Some storms, based on your experience and your expertise, based on your knowledge, your familiarity of the situation, based on who's with you, you can get through. But there are some storms in life, despite how long you live, despite what you went through, yet you have no answer. That it's, it's devastating when you hear the news that you have terminal cancer. It is devastating when you hear the news that you lost a loved one. It is devastating when you felt like... All these things were going to work out, and yet the result is nothing like what you expected. It's devastating when all your financial investments all of a sudden disappear one day. There are situations in life where it's beyond our control. Despite all that we know and all that we have experienced, it makes us feel hopeless. Um, But there's an important question that we have to ask at this point. Why are they in a storm at this point? Why are they going through such trial and tribulation? One thing that we do know is that it's not because the disciples were disobedient. It's not because they were like Jonah and they were running away from Jesus. They were like, forget about this. Jesus, I can't follow you anymore. This is too much work. Let me get on my boat and let me just take off. No, that's not what's going on. They, they're encountering this storm not because they were disobedient, not because they made a foolish choice or decision, which often we do make those choices and we suffer the consequences. But in this particular case, the disciples are encountering this incredible storm simply because they've been following Jesus. And that's what's disturbing. They are encountering this storm because they, they followed the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, let's go across to the other side. 
And that's what makes these storms really difficult in life. Because if you meet this storm when you were living in rebellion, if you were living a life that's completely set apart from God, then you can understand, okay, maybe this is a wake-up call for me to go back to the Lord. But when things like this happen, when you've been faithful to the Lord, when you thought you've been following Jesus, when you feel like you've been giving Jesus everything that you have, trusting him in every possible way, and yet Jesus leads you straight into a storm, that's when things get really, really challenging. So the first thing that we see in today's passage is this. Jesus leads his disciples into a storm. Jesus leads his disciples into a storm. When Jesus says, follow me, he never says that the road is going to be easy or nice, smooth. In fact, he says that the gate is narrow and the road is actually hard. That you will face trials and tribulations in your life. The world is going to hate you because they hated me first. Jesus never promises an easy life when he says, come and follow me. God is a God who allows storms to take place in our life. And why? I mean, that's a very difficult question to answer. Um, One thing that we do know is time after time, although we we, we might not fully understand why, we know that God is a God for his own purposes and for his glory, and a lot of times for our good. He leads his people into storms, troubles, trials, difficulties in life. And that trial and difficulty exposes the reality of our faith. Disciples were hopeless and powerless before the storm. And and so are we a lot of times in the midst of the storms in life. And so we see that Jesus, he leads his disciples straight into the storm. But number two, things get worse because not only does he lead his disciples straight into the storm, he sleeps in the middle of the storm. Jesus sleeps in the middle of the storm. Look at verse 23. It says, as they sailed, he fell asleep. We don't know if Jesus was seasick or something, but like in, in Mark, it says that he literally had a pillow. So he was determined to sleep. It's not like he just, he was like dozing off. No, he was determined to sleep. Like he, he's so chill. And, 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 and in verse 24, it says, they went and woke him saying, master, master, we are, we are perishing. And what they're saying is the ship is sinking. We're about to die. This is not just a possibility. This is our current reality. Like the ship is sinking. Water is coming into our ship. Like at any moment, we can go down. We are about to die. Master, master, we are perishing. And what are you doing? So not only are they devastated in the midst of this situation, they are so frustrated and disappointed at Jesus. We see that the the issue with the situation is not just the physical danger that they're encountering, but the lack of care that Jesus is displaying. And a lot of times, the reason why storms in life get really, really challenging is not just because what's happening on the outside, but it feels like in the midst of that storm, God is sleeping, or he is at a distance, or maybe he does not care. The reason why we struggle a lot of times in the midst of these storms of life is because a lot of times God does not respond to the storm in a way that we want to, we, him to respond to these storms. He doesn't act according to our thoughts. In Mark 4.38, recording the same incident, uh, Mark actually says this, but he, Jesus, in the stern, asleep on a cushion, and the disciples come and they say, Teacher, do you not care 
that we are perishing. So the disciples are not just reporting a reality that's happening. They're questioning Jesus' intention, his care. Do you not care in the middle of this situation? Like, we're literally dying, and it seems like you don't care. And that's the struggle that takes place a lot of times in the midst of life's storm, that we get frustrated, disappointed. A lot of times when this frustration boils up, it displays in anger. Like, God, where are you when I need you the most? Where are you? When I'm about to die, where literally water is up to here, that I'm, I'm, I'm barely breathing, I'm barely surviving. I don't know if I can make it another day. Where are you? And the truth is, a lot of times, this is what really leads us away from God, that we feel so disappointed, discouraged, because Jesus seems asleep and he doesn't care. But here's the twist. I think the disciples are really questioning the care of Jesus because they don't remember the words of Jesus. And a lot of times the reason why we question the care of Jesus in the middle of the storm is because we don't remember the words of Jesus. Because you go back to verse 22, and what did Jesus say? He said, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So Jesus has, has his eyes fixed on the other side of the lake. He didn't say, let's go on this boat and see what happens. He didn't say, let's go on this boat and hopefully we'll make it to the other side. No, he, he knows that, that they're going to make it to the other side. Like, that's the plan. Just says to his disciples, we're going to go to the other side and hit that city and share the gospel. And so let's go. And yet, in the middle of this storm, the disciples, they don't remember this word. They don't remember the promise that Jesus gave to them that they're going to be on the other side. They lose sight of the word of Jesus because the situation is so overwhelming. Their surrounding is so chaotic. And the same is true. A lot of times when life gets really difficult, our first response is, I just don't want to do anything with church. I don't want to spend time in God's word. That's the last thing I want to do. Like, how can I trust God's promises at this moment when it seems like life is so chaotic and Jesus does not care? And the reality is, it is in this very moment that you have to go deep into God's word. Because the reason why you are questioning God's care is most likely because you are questioning his word. Doubting the reality of Jesus' care begins with doubting the sureness of God's word. And so in in these desperate situations, disappointing situations, we have to make an effort to go to God's word, to go to Jesus, and to find comfort and, and, and clarity through his word. But Here's the contrast that takes place. The disciples are devastated at this point, disappointed, frustrated, doubting. And Jesus, he just chill. Like, he, in the midst of this chaos, he is so calm. In the midst of, of this situation, all the disciples are panicking. Jesus is peaceful, and the question is why? And it says in verse 24, they went and woke Jesus and, and saying, Master, Master, we are perishing and Jesus, he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And as a result, they ceased and there was a calm. So Jesus stands up from his sleep. He rebukes the waves and the wind. And they ceased immediately, Mark says in his account of this story. And there's immediately a calm. So the great chaos turns into great peace and, and calm. With a simple command, with a few words, Jesus is able to control 
the winds and the waves and all the chaos that comes with it. And so the last thing that we see about Jesus in today's passage is this. Although Jesus leads his disciples into a storm, Jesus sleeps in the middle of the storm, Jesus, he has control over the storm. That he's the one who's rebuking the storm. He is the Lord over the storm. And again, this is where it's very tempting for us to say, that's why I can trust Jesus in the midst of my, my storms and that he's going to do something. I just got to wait. Or maybe I just got to wake him up a bit. Like maybe he doesn't hear my, my cries, my prayers. I just got to spend more time, pray harder, like cry out more. And then he'll finally realize that I really need him. Like maybe that's what it, it's going to take for, for me to kind of get out of this situation. But the two questions that appear after this, I think it brings clarity to what, what the Gospels are trying to uh, remind us of in today's passage. So it says in verse 25, after this, he said to them, where is your faith? So all of a sudden, Jesus makes this an issue of faith. Where is your faith? Now we know that this can't be that Jesus is just saying that you have no faith whatsoever. In other places, in, in Matthew, Jesus says, why do you have such a little faith? So it's not the existence of faith that Jesus is questioning. The disciples made an initial decision to follow Jesus, to, to, to leverage their lives, to lay down their lives so that they can follow Jesus. So they have to some level of faith. They are trusting Jesus to some level. But here, Jesus is saying, you have faith, but where is it? And what he's saying is this. Right now, faith should be making a difference. Now, a lot of times we have this tendency, and Tim Keller gives this illustration, we have this tendency to think that faith is like an, an AC controller. That if the, the room gets a little bit hotter, like when you need a little bit cold air, after a certain temperature, the AC is going to come on and things are going to cool down. And that's how faith works. If you have faith, when things get really, really hard, it blows up to a certain point, and then faith kicks in, and then things are going to get calm and peaceful. But notice, in today's passage, Jesus is not saying that faith is automatic. He's saying that faith is a deliberate choice where you are required to make an action. Faith is applying and responding to what you know about Jesus. Let me say that one more time. Faith is responding and applying what you know about Jesus. Faith is not something that, that's automatic, that happens in your heart. It's a deliberate action that takes place. Jesus is saying you might have faith, but where is it? Where is your faith? And the reason why he's asking this question is this. The next question that comes up in verse 25 is this. As they hear this rebuke from Jesus, they were afraid. They marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? And so after Jesus questioning the faith of the disciples, now the disciples are questioning the, the identity of Jesus. Who is this guy? I mean, we know that he's Jesus. He's a teacher, great teacher, a miracle maker. But really, who is this guy? That's such a random question, knowing that literally Jesus raised someone from the dead a couple of chapters ago. And yet, they're asking the question, who then is this who commands the waves and the winds? Because for, for people who believe in the Old Testament, there's just one person who meets that category. There's only one person who has in their resume that I can actually calm the storms and the seas. It's God. In Psalms and in the book of Job, over and over again, the person who's able to calm the storms 
the winds and control the waves. The only person is God. And Psalm 29, 3 and 4 says that the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So Jesus, his identity, it's, it's on another level. The disciples are realizing that this is not just an incredible guy who can do miracles. He's not just someone who can calm storms. He's actually God. Jesus does what only God can do. And that's the main point of today's passage. Jesus is not just someone who can calm storms in our lives. He's actually God. Jesus is not just someone who can calm storms in our lives. He is actually God. Jesus wants you to know this. The reason why this is important is this. When you are following Jesus, you're not just following a dude who lived 2,000 years ago, who preached some good sermons, who did some crazy miracles, who had some good things to offer to people. You are actually following the God of the universe who controls all things, who made all things, control all things, who is absolutely good, perfect in his ways, who has all knowledge and wisdom, discernment. He is loving and kind, merciful. He is a God who is willing to love his people to the very end. And Jesus, he is God. And so you can trust him when you follow him. The reason why I say this is this. In this incident, Jesus calmed the sea and the storm immediately. But in other cases, and sometimes in our lives, Jesus lets us just ride through the storm. And sometimes the waves get the best of us. And yet one thing that is for certain is this, that Jesus is always present in the midst of that storm. Whether he stops the storm or whether he calms us so that we can endure the storms of life. Jesus is always present. And he is God. And that makes all the difference in the world. So two ways to apply this text. Number one is place your trust in Jesus. Seeing this, knowing this, knowing that you're not just following a guy who lived 2,000 years ago who, who's trying to give you a ticket to heaven, but you are actually following, following God himself when you're following Jesus. You can trust him. If he is the Lord over all storms, that he is trustworthy in every situation. What Jesus was saying is, yeah, we, we were going to make it to the other side, but your faith should have made a difference. Our trust in God should make a difference. And the reason why sometimes we crumble in front of the storms is because we don't place our trust in Jesus. Remember, faith is acting and responding to what you know about Jesus. If there's nothing that you know about Jesus, or if you have a misunderstanding of Jesus, faith is not going to kick in when it comes to these difficult situations. So place your trust in Jesus. It's not about how, how good your faith is, how strong your faith is. It's about the object of your faith. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Um, one person gives this illustration. If you fall off of a cliff and you see a branch, how much faith do you need to, to hold on to that branch? You don't have to have all the faith in the world and say, man, absolutely, I, just looking at the shape of this branch, the, the thickness of this branch, the material of this branch, the, the type of tree this, this branch comes from, absolutely, this could sustain me. No, you just have to have enough faith to hold on. And a lot of times, you know, we think that we need to have every answer when it comes to 
when it comes to the Bible, when it, to believe in Jesus. But all we really need to know is this. We have to come to a place, a reasonable place to understand that I don't know everything about Jesus. One thing I know for sure is that he is God, and I can trust him. If you have that much assurance, then you start following Jesus. But number two is this. Place your trust in Jesus, and after that, notice that in every storm, in every trial of life, you are granted an opportunity to reflect on the identity, the authority, and the majesty of Jesus. In every, every storm, every trial in life, you are granted an opportunity to first examine your faith, but also to reflect on the identity, the authority, and the majesty of Jesus Christ. What God is wanting you to do in the middle of the storm is instead of panicking, it's to put your trust in Jesus. And if you can't do that, then you have to make a decision. You have to understand, go deeper into your, your view of Jesus. It's, it's a way that your faith is going to be refined because the more you learn about Jesus, the greater your faith is going to become. And so in the midst of those trials and tribulations, you look to Jesus and explore his majesty, the wonders of Jesus. Know that he is in absolute control and that gives you the, the confidence and the comfort to not panic in those situations. And so place your trust in Jesus and in every storm reflect on who Jesus is Everyone who follows Jesus will make it to the other side. Now, we don't know what that journey is going to look like. But one thing that we do know is Jesus gives this promise in John 16, 33. He says this, I have said these things to you. He's speaking to his disciples that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The world will give you tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus makes a world of a difference. He's not just someone who's going to just take care of small things in your life or, or do a couple miracles in your life. He's God, and he's worth following. Amen? Let's pray.